On this episode of Dweeb Dive, we're going into a little bit of a different area. Call of Duty Modern Warfare. We'll be talking about the first half of the campaign for that game. A lot of themes, a lot of realistic scenarios, and we take the time to go through all of it. So with that being said, it's time to batten down the hatches and dive, dive. What's going on, everyone? It's Austin, joined, as always, by my co-host, Connor. We are amidst the coronavirus outbreak, which uh, doesn't really do much for us because we're nerds and we just stay indoors all day. So with that, Connor, how are we doing today, man? (laughs) Well, uh, maybe that's true. I have a respiratory infection, as you pointed out. I've been coughing and sneezing a lot. and I oh, have great. to say, I, I feel pretty chill, like I'm on island time, so maybe I do have coronavirus. Oh, perfect. So Connor's got coronavirus. That's awesome. So uh, Dweeb Dive is officially canceled because I won't have a co-host anymore. Last episode, anymore. guys. That's cool. <laughs> Last episode. That's cool. Which sucks because he was actually here with a bunch of other friends that we have, and we had a massive nerd session this weekend. Friday That's through right. Sunday, basically this Saturday through Sunday, but everyone arrived on Friday and, uh, man, it was awesome though. Absolutely positively awesome. Dude, Connor some is of my our, favorite uh, things. oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Go, go, go. Oh yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> dude, the, the perks of having a, a podcast that we do remotely. It's, it's amazing. Our, our <laughs> timing and just our chemistry. It's perfect. I'm the DM. For our little group of Dungeons and Dragoners, and we occasionally are able to get together and have in-person sessions, and it just reminds you of what that game is all about. It, it reminds you, oh, this is like how it actually is meant to be played, and it's just so much better that I'm able to see you guys and we can all talk to each other face-to-face. There's there's nothing like it. If you have a chance to play Dungeons and Dragons, even if you don't know a Dungeon Master to have someone figure it out that's the biggest nerd in your friend group and try to play it because it it's just – you'll never laugh harder with your friends than Dungeons & Dragons in my opinion. I mean laughing hard, yes, but also if you like to uh, – what's the gentlest way to say this without sounding just incredibly nerdy? Role play. Uh, yeah, okay. Role play. En- it just yeah, kind of takes you – Yeah, yeah. It takes you to – the place where you just you're literally you're able to really do whatever you want for the most part obviously you have to uh you roll for it for those unfamiliar you have if you say you want to hey i want to do something really cool and backflip off this bookshelf and shoot an arrow in this guy's head you have to roll for it but if you land it it gets i mean you get to do it and it's awesome and then there's also the uh the aspect of interactions with npcs that are created and again it's just you're presented with scenarios and you get to do them the way you want to, which just makes it the best possible thing. If you enjoy, you know, fantasy, sci-fis, uh, video game, RPG games. I mean, being able to basically, when you play an RPG, you're set within its own parameters. But when you do it yourself on D and D, you're basically able to live out however you want your RPG to play, and that is probably the best part of everything in, yeah. in that regard. So, nice. I absolutely love it. I mean, there sure. There's a stigma of D and D, and you know, just uh, 
Yeah, I won't even get into Mouth it. I don't breathing. want D and D. Yeah, I don't want D and D Nation to get mad at me. But yeah, there's definitely a stigma. But I would say for us, we're a pretty normal ish uh, group of guys. And the stigma married. is pretty See, that's big. much married. A couple stig- of us married. The stigma is pretty much gone, in my opinion. Just I, I'm more immersed in the world of D and D, Austin. I would say, and it's it's pretty damn popular now. It's it's really not as niche as it used to be there's no more satanic panic like, like there was in the 70s and 80s <laughs> so it's it's got a pretty good foothold in in popular culture um but that was a good summary of how most people can enjoy D. uh it's if you've ever felt crowded by the parameters of a rpg it's what i always say if you've ever played a video game you're like this is so stupid that i can't make this decision like why are they railroading me that is exactly what D is all about it has just enough structure to make the game feel rewarding, like you're actually accomplishing something, but it's so open, and there's so much room for creativity that it's just like a great exercise. It, it could be as serious or as casual as you want it to be. Uh, so go out there and roll some dice. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Connor and his recommendation. It's just so much fun, and if you have friends that are kind of similar to that and you just you just wish he had an outlet to basically – role play without getting costumes or any of that stuff that I feel like is a little more intense. Uh, if you do it, Hey, good on you. You're braver than I ever will be. But D and D is a good substitute because you just get addressed as a character. And I think on top of that, you know, as I get really preachy about this, you get to make a character and make them who you would like to reflect in a certain parameter or a certain world and, and live that character and, and be able to do stuff. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I, I'm just thinking about my character I created. And, you know, with him, just, uh, I don't know, living vicariously through that character in, in sessions and the decisions and, and everything that as it's developed has just been awesome. And then getting having complete control over developing the, the backstory and the history and everything that's kind of led up to this moment is just... Something that's just totally awesome. So, yeah, to Connor's point, do it. It's so much fun. Instead of going to med school, maybe the first step should be do D&D. Get a D&D sesh together with some friends. <laughs> Get a doctorate in D&D. Ooh, uh, actually, whoa. if you go to medical school, you'll probably end up playing D&D at some point. A lot of nerds in there. Yeah, and probably just a good outlet to escape the stress reality that you live in for 12 years or whatever it is. So, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Could definitely see that. Well, and then I, uh, yeah. I definitely can't fail to mention that on top of D and D, there were certainly some Smash Bros going on, and absolutely Magic the Gathering as well. Um, just sort of dove into Magic recently myself. Yeah, well, not super recently, but probably about a year or so. And you're new, yeah, you're new. I'm newer, but oh man, I just got, I just finished doing a. Uh, an angel deck and it all came in got some accessories with it oh dude i'm so pumped to use it you are so deep (laughs) oh dude i went down i chased the rabbit down in the hole man i big time but it's okay it's okay i you know what because it is okay but yeah um that was the weekend (laughs) and if connor has coronavirus then the eight or nine of us or whatever definitely have it so see ya that's not as cool so R.I.P. Dweeb. You guys died, have inferior genes. Oh well, not me. I don't. What oh no, saying? you're good. You're you're one of oh, the yeah. good ones. You're one of the chosen people. But our white friends. Sorry, guys. 
<laughs> R.I.P. Enjoy the just enjoy some Coronas while you have coronavirus. Do you think that hits different? <laughs> um, you know, Corona sales are down like twenty five percent. That's probably a fake internet fact, but I I would believe that Corona sales are down at some significant number. People are that because stupid. I yes, people are immensely stupid. Corona and coronavirus. Hell, I ain't touching that beer. Yeah, it goes from south of the border, so you know it's shady. <laughs> They're trying to get us, boy. Oh, maybe They're we'll try- edit that part out. Wow, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for the conspiracy theories attached to coronavirus. Well, I can't I think, wait. I think I definitely uh, saw something in regards to calling it the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus. I think that should definitely stick because we all know that the Chinese government is definitely going to rewrite history on this one. And if the world forgets that it originated out of China, then, uh, I mean, China's just basically like, oh, yeah, it, uh, coronavirus. It's like an Etch-A-Sketch. It never happened. Just erase it. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that deadly disease that just kind of. chicken, dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're just trying to live our lives, man. And, uh. This crazy virus just came out of nowhere, man. I don't even know where it originated. I think, uh, you know, maybe Korea. I think it was Korea. It was definitely the Koreans. Yeah. It's Korea's fault. Anyway, don't eat bats. Definitely don't eat (laughs) bats. Don't eat bat soup. Uh, As a a side note to bats, I mean, that's – I'm pretty sure that's where Ebola made its jump from species to species was bats. And Ebola is like – Bats are disgusting. A billion times scarier. Yeah, well, bats are scary and gross and dirty as it is, but the fact that Ebola came or possibly – I think it – I'm pretty sure it originated. I did a big report and read books on it. Ebola is very scary. I would be absolutely mortified if coronavirus, instead of kind of mimicking the flu as a respiratory infection, was Ebola because Ebola – the Ebola virus like liquefies your insides. Right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Oh. You melt on the inside out and then you die. Not pretty. That sounds so bad. Oh, I mean, it it is bad. That's the thing. It doesn't just sound bad. It's a horror movie, dude. It is bad. Yeah, dude. Wow. We'll need Mark Wahlberg or someone to save us. (laughs) Or Matt Damon. I think Matt Damon's in one of those movies, too. Contagion, Matt Damon, The Happening. I was going to say, I know you're referencing something, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) Yeah, uh, not quite. You know, Contagion's definitely one of those ones, but... uh... Is it like The Happening? Is that what the Wahlberg one we were talking about? That, yeah, that, yep, that's the one. It's not really like a disease, but it kind of is. I also isn't uh, it airborne? Salsa. Isn't the happening airborne? Yeah, because it comes from trees, dude. So the trees, the dude, plants release remember, it. That movie was so weird. Oh <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, happening. Yes, it was. Nothing happened. But, yeah, well, yeah. Stuff no stuff happened, happened, but nothing of nothing that I cared about. Okay, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. Not Wahlberg's best work, but you know Marky what I do Mark, care about, you. Austin. What's that? Quality narrative video game stories. Oh, please tell me more. <laughs> and, let, and now I shall turn this ship slightly to the right <laughs> and uh, put us on track, dude. I think uh, I think it's time to talk about Call of Duty. Oh yeah. It's majestic return, and I mean a triumphant return at that. And uh, I'd like to preface this little dive with a brief, a brief chat about uh, Call of Duty's uh, recent history. 
Okay. Um, Call of Duty hit a stride. They hit a different, a new chapter in their franchise when they released the first Modern Warfare back in the day. Uh, That kind of changed the game. It was their first foray into a modern conflict. It was real. It was grounded. It was the setting was eerily similar to the conflict that was actually happening in the Middle East, and they went from there. Uh, the next season of release, they release uh, Modern Warfare 2, which similarly uh, had somewhat grounded relations to the real world, but it introduced set pieces, uh, huge action scenes. It started to become less about uh, warfare and you know conflicts between armies and nations and more international spy thriller, uh, something between a James Bond and a Michael Bay film. And it kind <laughs> of stuck to that formula. And then, you, of course, we see the increase in movement speed. We see verticality introduced. Uh, so instead of boots on the ground and, you know, just shooting across sight lines uh, horizontally, you're now shooting up at windows and there, and you can ascend to, you know, several stories in, in pretty quickly. Uh, it just became, it became a much faster paced shooter. Uh, and it kind of became an action flick. Really, it did. And that's not all bad. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Austin. I, I know you're, you've probably played more of the multiplayer than I have. I certainly played all the campaigns. Um, it wasn't all bad. I liked it. But the main criticism coming from fans was, man, we really miss the boots on the ground action. We miss the classic Call of Duty experience where it's nitty and gritty uh, it's a bit more tactical and every shot kind of counts sort of a thing. Um, you expose a knee, you expose an elbow, and that might be the end of you. That kind of thing. So I believe the way the marketing panned out, uh, for the last game before this Modern Warfare, this new reboot, rebooted Modern Warfare, uh, it was for Call of Duty uh, World War II. And all the marketing, Austin, I'm sure you remember, was back to our roots, Back to our classic uh, World War II days. It's boots on the ground action. It's going to be super grounded. It's going to be a story about people, uh, everyday kind of soldiers that uh, rise to the challenge and defeat the enemy, that kind of a thing. And it just did not stick. Um, I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't get to play the entire campaign. I played bits and pieces of it. I lost interest uh, after a mission where there was a train crash. And I was like, what the what the hell is going on? Um, so, with that all said, Austin, before we got in, before we got this newest uh, Modern Warfare, what was your feelings about the state of Call of Duty? I mean, like, were were you kind of groaning at like, uh, here we go again? Like, this might be another another disappointment, or were you okay with the series? Oh, I was absolutely to your point. It, uh, it, tired of the series, I think. The okay. Modern Warfare era with two, uh, the original two and three was awesome. I mean, we definitely played the hell out of it. And I mean, for me, the ground rule was campaign first, finish the campaign, go yep. into multiplayer. Yep. I love all the storylines. So I loved what they did with the stories in Modern Warfare. It took a little bit of a turn when Black Ops came out because you go, you made that jump from. Uh, the modern warfare towards the Vietnam era. But again, something that was really cool, the first Black Ops, I wasn't a huge fan of, but I know a lot of people did like it, 
Black Ops 2 was definitely one of the biggest hits with the league play was introduced then, the story that continued from the original Black Ops. I mean, the characters that everyone loved, you know, Sergeant Woods and Mason and then the CIA being involved. And it had some fun with the conspiracy around JFK and Cuba and Russia and all that stuff. So definitely loved all that. I think for me, it started losing ground when Call of Duty Ghosts came out, which I think because Activision and Treyarch flip-flopped each year for the licensing rights, I believe. So we got after Black Ops 2, I think it was Activision did Ghosts because Black Ops was Treyarch. And Ghost yep. was probably the turn for the worst, in a way. It was not the futuristic style, but, I mean, the multiplayer wasn't super fun. I, I even recall the campaign is always something that is just is a lot of fun and interactive and immersive for that military style. But I think it, it kind of lost its way there. They got rid of zombies in that one, too, and they had a different one with, like, aliens, which... I think it, it as it developed, yep. it gained traction, but obviously you had to buy that stuff. And if you weren't all in to begin with, then you weren't going to buy it. And then, yeah, it, it just got out of control, in my opinion, um, kind of coinciding with, uh, um, well, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm coinciding it with like the Fortnite craze because, uh, you know, pu- player uh, or PUBG, player unknown battleground came out with console and, and then Fortnite. And yep. for me, I was a shooter guy, but Fortnite, the fact that you can build and do all these escapes really took away from the skill level, in my opinion. And obviously, there's people that are immensely skillful. It's a, it's a different type of skill, maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, just like the ability it's to build and get away in Fortnite is something that was unattractive to me. And that uh, kind of translated, I mean, is the same thing as the advanced warfare style with drones and exosuits and robots and like... All the and just like mega sprinting and being able to like jump over buildings, just being able to essentially, in my mind, button mash and you could get away after you get first shot on somebody was just so frustrating. I actually stopped right. playing Call of Duty. I mean, I play, I got it every year. I was a big World War II guy, so I got it from like Call of Duty 2 or 3 whenever it was out on console. That's when I started and I didn't stop until I think. I didn't play Advanced Warfare, and I and I mean even the lure of the Modern Warfare reboot um, didn't you know you had to buy Advanced Warfare to get at that, and I was like no that I that's not even worth it for me. So I actually right. stopped and, playing yeah. the game a hundred percent with uh, with how bad it in my opinion how got how bad it got okay with the futuristic styles. So when. The marketing came out, first of all, when it was announced that it was going to be some sort of, some style of reboot of the Modern Warfare original trilogy, at least that's what it was billed as. And that's what, that's all the news outlets were like, oh, it's a reboot. It's a reimagining. It's going to be the same story, but told differently, Um, which didn't end up really, truly being the case. It was more of a revival of the same characters, but it takes place before the events of the original Modern Warfare. Anyway, the marketing again was hey this is a mature story it's going to be boots on the ground it's going to be real real people real soldiers it's going to be a story that feels connected to the modern world it's going to maybe it's going to say something 
And I thought, oh, whatever. Whatever, Activision. I, I'm not... You can't trick me again. Uh, and, I, I, and honestly, I felt like that until... Until they released the that very first gameplay of uh, what's now called Clean House. That mission Clean House. And man, yeah. I was like, okay, this is a atomic leap forward in... Uh, their subject matter and the gravity, uh, the darkness that they're willing to kind of jump into. And I don't say that lightly either, because as we can all recall, um, no Russian from Modern Warfare 2. That's a that's a mission where you are coerced into gunning down civilians so you can get closer to a bad guy in an airport. It is. And that was very much when terrorism was uh, perhaps at uh, more top of mind for more people. Uh, and even in that mission, it didn't quite hit the gravity of the situation like uh, the gameplay from Clean House. It just it just didn't. Somehow the tension wasn't as high uh, and the stakes didn't feel as real. Um, I'm not sure if that's an art style, that's a sound design, that's a lighting thing. I'm not sure if it's... Uh, the fact that you get kind of desensitized to the amount of people you're killing in the in the Modern Warfare 2 uh, mission. I'm not really sure exactly what it was. I mean, we'll, we'll dive into uh, the presentation, the elements of the campaign in a second here. But at that moment, Austin, I was like, okay, they are trying to make a they're trying to make a mature narrative. They are trying to say something with this game. I'm in. I'm going to buy this one. How was your reaction to the initial marketing? Were you like, oh? Hello? Like, what's this? Yeah, I think for me, and I will say really fast because I, I'm such a World War II nerd. When Call of Duty World War II came out, I was super excited because I love it. And that coincided when Battlefield 1 came out and the awesome right. gameplay that encompassed that, the operation, like the multiple storyline. So I think Call of Duty tried to mimic that because of the massive success. And it was pretty cool. But, I mean, it just, I think Battlefield had already done way better than that. And Call of Duty tried to fit in that market. So it fell off and it fell off for me as well after initially, you know, having a lot of excitement for it. But viewing the commercials and the gameplay, I mean, it literally looked and felt like it was truly back to the roots similarities in the original Modern Warfare that got the entire world hooked on it and everyone became huge military buffs after that yeah. because it was just so, I guess, true to what was going on in the world. And I know we'll talk about the campaign here in a second, but I, I just want to add, you know, you're talking about the clear, uh, the, you know, the clean house mission and the difference between that and the airport, because, you know, you can obviously have full realm of possibilities in today's world. And what we know about covert ops and special forces and all that stuff I think the gravity of it is just it feels so much re more real because it is real. You know, this actually this is stuff that that happens. Right. You can go check out Rob O'Neill, who is the Navy SEAL that was on the bin Laden mission and the, you know, shot the bullet heard around the world, uh, so to speak. And when you listen to him to describe it and then you, you know, plug in and play uh, this mission on Call of Duty I mean, you could just essentially have a step-by-step -step narrative of what he was doing in real life and what you're doing in this mission. I mean, it is just so close versus obviously the airport thing is a massive, 
I don't even know have the words to describe it. I mean, it would huge be a, terrorist would be attack a with a changing. massive, yeah, yeah. history changing, and it's just while the gravity of the gameplay in that situation is huge, I just think the reality of it was just so un. I mean, it just would never happen ever. You know, I just don't. I just don't see it. I mean, it would take a lot of moving parts for that to happen, and the scope in the real world for that to happen. I mean. It, it's not necessarily a nation dividing. I mean, it's like a uh, a nation uniting event when something that mass scale happens. In in my opinion, right. I mean, I could be completely off base, but I think that's just the difference. At least for me, I mean, just the realism that they immerse you in and drop you right in. It's it's real. I mean, you can literally you could look stuff up where it is it mere images what yeah. you're doing, and I think that is the the difference and why it, it's an impact. And I'm sorry for breaking it down. I mean, it's a very oh, small right. aspect of that mission. So we'll get into more of that, but yeah, the initial take the detail, the amount of detail. I remember you sending me a video of how much time they took in the reload animation. I yes. mean, it was like, okay, so we're really, really, really getting back to what made call of duty. Great. Was the skill, the the weapons um just how your Gunplay. character interacted with the weapons i mean being an elite soldier but also you're not a super soldier you know there's you have to lead your target there's bullet drop and sniping um i mean real i mean you can't just hold the trigger down forever and just instantly reload like it takes time to do that stuff you're not shooting a laser you're, yeah you're yeah, handling you're, like a volatile explosive chamber essentially yeah exactly you, the recoil is all over the place without attachments which it would be and even still it's still all over the place like it's really hard to, to control automatic weapons i mean yeah. having just the slight experience of firing one it's not easy and it was a very small you know sample size and a smaller caliber weapon so amplifying that i mean it's probably not easy at all so i just they did such a good job of, of bringing it all back and truly back to what got everybody hooked on it. So, I, dude, I was excited. Yeah. I mean, I told you, like, dude, you have to get this. It, it is so awesome. And I was like, yep. Well, the thing that – and the last thing that sold me that I just – I want to give props for, the best piece of marketing and I think one of the best selling tools that they did for this game, it was so smart. They had about – I think it was an eight-minute interview with the lead anim- – like the lead reload animations guy. And really just the gun animations guy that that was, that's, it doesn't, it seems like, wow, that's kind of like a really, really specific job, but it is so important. If you think about it, that is the main bit of animation work that you will see if you play these games. It is what is happening to the gun as it's shot, as it's reloaded, as you're getting shot, as you, <coughs> as you get stuff in your eyes. I mean, it is super important along with the sound and hearing the guy's passion because uh, he's, he's been working on the series since uh, the first Modern Warfare and just comparing it to the past and how every detail, every click, every bit of motion blur, uh, wavering of the barrel, it's all so passionately made and it really shows. Um, so I want to give them props for that. But uh, it's time to jump into the campaign, Osti. You ready? Yeah, dude. Awesome campaign. So we are uh, we're looking at a game that it comes at a time with the Syrian conflict. It comes at a time with the London bombings. And, and it seems like there's a never-ending stream of attacks in London. Um, and we kind of get dropped right into this world uh, in a pretty visceral scene. So 
we see a couple, uh, we're not really sure who they are, but it's inside of a van. It's in a crowded, it's in some sort of city. You can hear the move. You can hear cars honking outside the voices of crowds. Uh, these men, uh, that we see in this van, they're wearing, uh, what is typically associated with terrorist insurgents, uh, ski masks, uh, Exterior bulletproof vests, black vests, uh, AK-47s, small handguns, things like that. And then we see a particularly nervous-looking insurgent uh, with a bomb vest, and we understand, oh, no. Like, this is is not going to be a happy scene. Um, The terrorist walks out of the van into a street. You see civilians feet away from him. You see the look on their faces of pure terror, and he blows himself up. That is how the game starts. Um, well, hold on. Well, let's back up. What's up? It's not. It's not a hundred percent how it starts. Remember, I that up. We are in. Oh gosh, somewhere in Europe with the CIA operative Alex and the Marine Raider team that is assaulting the compound. That's the first mission of the ser- of the game. Because it's uh, it's like a, a terrorist group that, and it's oh, the no, Russian. I know that. It's the Russian gas. This is so uh, that, this is hold on. This is the this is just a this is a uh, cinematic that plays when you start the game. Yeah, is it? I mean, I really hope I didn't ruin your your groove, but I'm. I could have swore that it's the CIA agent with the Marine Raiders on a typical. Uh, kind of covert ops mission to locate gas and the mission obviously as you play through it goes haywire right at the end when essentially the team is wiped out and the gas is stolen and you don't know who yeah, it so, is but yeah, Austin, then, you, then you go to Piccadilly isn't it not that's when you you no, go to London so there's a cinematic there's a cinematic that just it's an it's entire focus. It's very short. The entire focus is just to introduce the world that we're operating in. Um, it has no relevance to the first mission, and it's not the Piccadilly scene quite yet. Although okay. it's implied that it's happening subsequent to the uh, or uh, concurrently with the Piccadilly scene, but you don't. This it's not gameplay. It's not you're not controlling a character. It's just a cinematic. Okay. Okay. You I might have forgotten. I apologize. You, yeah. <laughs> And here's why. Here's why. It only happens when you start a brand new game, which I uh, – for the first time. Otherwise, it's you can skip it and just head right back in, in, right into the first mission, and I think that's probably what happened there. Oh, okay. Right away, the game sets the tone with that cinematic. It's like, hey, uh, this is a game about uh, insurgent forces, uh, terrorist cells – this is not going to be like GI. It's not going to be very GI Joe. You know, it's it's not going to be a game where you feel particularly uh, heroic per se, uh, like you would in other games in this genre, which I think was a very important thing to do to set the tone of the world. To kind of have like, okay, here's the stasis uh, of this narrative. This is kind of like this dark world that these forces are going to be operating in, right? Which perfectly drops us into the feeling of the first mission, which is called Fog of War. Um, as Austin mentioned, uh, we take we assume the role of um, a CIA SAC SOG officer uh, named Alex. Um, he is dropped into the fictional uh, European state of Verdansk, um, 
they he is uh, along with a team of marine raiders and they are hoping to intercept a shipment of nerve gas uh lethal gas that is headed for another fictional uh country of urzikstan um <coughs> excuse me my uh my corona was really kicking up when i was trying to talk right there yeah i could tell dang corona yeah so they embark on this mission um on the comms, in the very beginning of the mission, Austin, there, I think you probably remember this, the CIA station chief, Kate Laswell, on the comms says, okay, rules of engagement, if they are insurgent military, they are free to, you are free to engage. But if it's Russian military, you better back off. Um, this is a very important thing to mention. Russian military, meaning the main force. This is not like a splinter group. This is not uh, another terrorist cell. This is she is talking about full blown Russian military. Uh, so you can tell that the Russians are involved. Their their forces are mobile throughout the world. It's a worry. It's a constant worry apparently for the CIA, and they really don't want to break out. Uh, in a war with Russia. So we know that Russia's a player. We know that these terrorist cells are a player. And we know that the Americans, at least in the form of the CIA and the small Marine group, are players as well. Okay? So we have our three players. Uh, three players currently. So yes. <laughs> they break into this compound in Verdansk. They make their way through. And uh, wouldn't you know it, it's Russian military. Um, not great. So... They're already the mission's already going kind of sideways. Um, they're not really sure why they're here, uh, why they're loaded for bear, and uh, the mission goes loud. And they fight their way through a series of buildings, open courtyards, machine gun nests. Uh, they take a couple KIA's. Uh, the mission continues, but it's not going amazingly. Um, finally, uh, they get to the end. They f- they find. Uh, they find the gas. They're figuring out what to do. They need to mobilize it. They need to get it out of there. Uh, Alex needs a report and kind of regroup with his station chief. And as they are leaving the compound in these trucks, trying to figure out what to do next, they are assaulted by a burning uh, a burning truck is sent down from the nearby hill into their caravan. They're attacked by another unknown force. Um, and we never we don't figure out who these are until much later in the in the campaign, but. Um, the one detail we do get uh, from – so Alex is shot up. Uh, all the Marine Raiders that are with him are shot up. They're all KIA or they're bleeding out. And Alex is kind of on the ground dying. And these two two attackers from this unknown group, they're overheard mentioning, oh, shit. We thought these were Russian shol- soldiers. These are definitely Americans. We messed up. They take the, They take the gas – and they skedaddle out of there quick. So now we're wondering, okay, we know the Russians are up to something. We know the Americans are up to something. We know that there's terrorist cells uh, active in Urzikstan. But now there's unknown players, another terrorist cell that's going on. So we're beginning to understand that there are major powers at the forefront. But there are also more subdued, covert, uh, shadowy uh, organizations that are at work here as well. And you will see that uh, come into play uh, in about three missions from this one. Um, but that's how the first mission ends. So um, I have a quick cut- edit on the first yeah, mission come in. Re- really come fast. In. Come in. So they do 
confirm Russian military, but it's not towards until the towards the end of the mission. So they open. If you remember, they you're blow right, the front right, gate. Yeah. They detonate. They they get uh, kills, and I think the first raider is uh, killed from machine gun fire. Uh, from an MG yeah. nest that you assault, and then as you progress through the compound, you get into a warehouse section where the lights are killed. So you go NVGs, and you engage some. They definitely look different. Uh, they de- they're definitely hitting different these these new guys, but you don't really know because it's dark and obviously uh, night vision goggles. From what I've heard from people that actually have used them, they suck. Um, so they get the lights back on, and that's actually when they're all like, oh, shit, we You're have right. a problem. We were engaging militia of some kind, but not, you know, hired guns, but these are yeah. confirmed KIA Spetsnaz. Like, oh, shit, that is exactly yeah. what we weren't supposed to do. And that's when the station chief says, okay, you need to get back here right away. Uh, just leave the bodies. There's nothing we can do. You know, get the gas and get out. And then, yeah, that's when they, they load up the trucks and the lead vehicle and the convoy gets taken out, which is a pretty standard uh, practice for ambushing a convoy. You take out the lead and the uh, tail vehicle, so there's no escape for the middle. So, yeah, they take out the lead vehicle. The rest are stuck in the compound, and that's when everything goes crazy. And then what, exactly what Connor said, this third faction comes in. They say, oh, shit, they're Americans. We messed up, but they take <laughs> the gas anyway. <laughs> So I think that mistake. is just the added element because you don't know. I mean, the station chief says you don't engage Russian military because obviously that's a more registered uh, entity outside of it's hired a guns. It's of an international F up. Like it's the worst thing you could do. Exactly. But it kind of adds to this interesting uh, plot because you have militia that you don't or, or hired guns that anybody could hire i mean a rich guy wanting to plot the world's demise for all we know is yeah he owns this facility um or you know maybe it's a russian facility but they don't you know they don't have hired guns there but the fact that you end up killing spetsnaz who are also assaulting the compound at the same time you are it's kind of like um what's going on here you know what uh what does this what does this all happen because we're Americans, we engage higher guns, and the Spetsnaz engaged us, but they probably didn't think, you know, we're not supposed to be here. What are they doing here? And then the third group comes in, and they're like, oh, shit, these aren't Russians. These are Americans. You're like, what the hell? There's three groups that aren't supposed to be here that are all here right, right. now. And I think that is what convolutes the entire plot line from the beginning, so you can't predict, oh, I'm typical Call of Duty hero versus bad entity yeah, guy immediately. Right. I mean, it just throws it all out the window. In previous titles, it's typically, okay, this guy's obviously bad, but it turns out he's not the worst dog in the pack. Uh, someone else has an even more nefarious plan, and that's just like a scapegoat. Uh, this one, you're truly you're truly wondering what's even the stakes. All you know is that there's a couple major players, and now we've introduced, uh, there's Nerve Gas. There's nerve gas that is being mobilized uh, somewhere for something, and that is uh, it's a source of anxiety throughout the entire the entire campaign. Speaking of anxiety, now we move on to Piccadilly, the Piccadilly mission. We are back inside of a van, but this time we are uh, sitting right there next to some SAS officers. Um, among them is Kyle Garrick, who's played by Elliot Knight. 
and uh, they're monitoring a situation on the street. They're they're in a van and they're monitoring cars going by, and they identify a van with uh, military age males. They identify those some stocks of some weapons, and they're immediately identified as threats. Um, as the car passes them, they get out of the van and they sneak up. Uh, they're, they're advancing towards the van in, in heavy traffic. It's kind of crazy. People are honking. People are leaning out their windows, yelling things. And we see a guy get out, and he's holding something in his hand. It looks like a detonator. We see some weapons. We see we see some metal. We see they're moving in a way that's making our alarm bells go off. And before we can really react, the bomb goes off on the vest. One of your uh, comrades is killed, and the mission starts. Um, I thought this mission was a great introduction to the chaos um, that ensues after uh, an attack like that. Um, not saying that it's accurate to the attack or it captures everything that those attacks entail, but maybe perhaps from a, from the standpoint of someone that has to react to that situation and operate. And like, they're like, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, you're pretty underprepared. You have, all you have is a, is a sidearm, a nine millimeter sidearm. Uh, I don't think it's, I think it's a, uh, I think it's one of the fictional guns, but it's essentially a Glock. Um, and it's crazy. It's crazy because the environment, right when the bomb goes off, you have targets in front of you, but it's also tons and tons of civilians. So your backstop, not even your backstop, but you're just your field of fire is peppered with civilians. And this is like, it's it's super stressful because you want to put shots on target and you want to end this like nightmare that's unfolding in front of you. But like good luck acquiring targets and squeezing the trigger like confidently. Um, what's perhaps even more harrowing um, for me, Austin, was in previous Call of Duty games and in this game too in some sections, if you shoot a civilian, uh, the screen blurs and it says uh, you've shot a civilian like mission failed. Something to that right. effect. That does happen in certain missions in this game. But what was interesting about this mission is um, you can shoot civilians on accident and it will not stop the mission. And I think that is, it's admitting that this is a hectic, crazy situation. It's almost impossible to like cleanly acquire targets. And if someone's caught in your backstop or if someone, you know, happens to get in your line of sight and catches a bullet, like, you know, that's just a reality situation. You have to move on from that. There's no starting over, uh, which I thought was super interesting. Um, otherwise, this mission goes pretty quickly. Uh, you fight your way across the Piccadilly Circus, which uh, is a major intersection, a major area of London. And uh, there's rockets flying everywhere. There's RPGs on rooftops. There's terrorists shooting in pretty much every direction. There's hostage situations in the in the tunnels, uh, in the train tunnels beneath uh, the square. It gets crazy. Uh, before I get to the last part of this mission, how did you feel? I mean, how did you react to this? Was Was this what you were expecting or how did you feel about it? I mean, I don't, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. I didn't, I don't think I realized that the, the civilian thing, but there's an achievement that if you don't uh, shoot a civilian on accident, obviously through the chaos that you get that achievement. And what I am an achievement hunter when it comes to the campaign of these games. And I noticed I yes, didn't get are. that. And I was like, Oh, 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 oh no. And I, I distinctly, and then oh. I remember when I was playing through, 
um, obviously you're not a super soldier and I mean, not that your character is actually affected by the events happening, you know, that would affect your shooting. But I mean, your, your aim is definitely not on. And I remember, you know, trying to just shoot through a, uh, you know, shoot above a crowd. And I, I think I tagged some non-combatants. Um, and, and that was it's like, hard. Oh, okay. It was, it was different. And I mean, obviously there is a major difference between your sidearm and what they are rocking, you know, heavy machine guns, assault rifles, submachine guns. I mean, you are completely outgunned. Um, Way I mean, I mean, it's just like a, just a crazy experience and uh, a crazy uh, mission. Um, so yeah, dude, I mean, it just, you know, the, the CIA mission coupled with this is just, uh, is, is craziness for sure. And, it's 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 not like it's not a new concept of Call of Duty, but I think it was it was used very effectively in these first two missions, making you feel like this is a dangerous world. You're not you're not on the attack right now. You are on the defense, um, and you're gonna have to fight your way tooth and nail back to a position of power to you know kind of start your counterattacks. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I'll say this. Even in a situation where you have precision controls, it's a digital environment. You're not in any real danger, so your adrenaline is not up. Even in that situation, it's still hard to acquire targets. So I just I can't imagine the very real world situation where this. I mean, this has happened to police officers, and uh, I mean, at every level of the armed forces that you know are involved in things like this. The fact that real people have to actually respond to situations like that it blows my mind, dude. And I think that is a testament to uh, how this game presents itself because that's immediately where my mind goes. I'm like, what if I actually had to do this? Like, I don't know if you've ever shot, if you've ever gone to a pistol range and you've you've put shots on a target, let's say 10 yards away, 15 yards away, which is, I think, t- I think between five to 10 is 10 yards is like the average engagement for like uh, a handgun. Like the average handgun engagement happens between five and 10 yards. It is so hard. It is so hard. Like it's it's hard to get anything that's uh, like lethal shots. Like you can get you can hit center mass decently, but it's 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 very hard. And speaking to like our friend Ryan about it, like he says, like our friend Ryan's a police officer, and he says, yeah, like weapons training, like they train you to uh, to hit center mass, like as best as you can, because like. I heard a stat, Austin, that at for most uh, infantry-level trained soldiers around the world, including American military, accuracy on the range, uh, hitting the target area at like, a, like, a, like with rifles, like medium, is about 75%. So pretty damn good. Um, in a combat situation, that lowers the 15 or less. The most elite top level operators 90 to 95 percent in high level stress situations where you're receiving fire for top level guys that goes down to 30 percent and this is the best of the best and I, I just i'm like what like that that stat blew my mind but uh anyway um at the end of the piccadilly mission uh it's on the comms or through the yelling uh, of your comrades. Uh, you hear that there have been hostages taken uh, inside one of the the, the the buildings on the square. 
Um, as you try to wake, work your way in, uh, you're attacked by an insurgent with a knife. Uh, you struggle with him for a moment before he is blasted to smithereens, and out comes the boy. Yeah. The one and only, the legend, Captain Price. Which, uh, it's a new voice actor. It's a new face, and it's a new voice actor. Well, it's a similar face, but uh, it's Barry Sloan, who I I am not super familiar with uh, his work as an actor, but I have to say I was pleasantly surprised. And that, those are some big shoes to fill, dude. Mm-hmm. Did you like? I mean, do you like the casting of the new jo- of the new Captain Price? I, honestly, I couldn't tell the difference. If you if you want me to be honest and transparent, I really? he sounded. So similar to me, I just maybe it was just so excited that Captain Price was back that I didn't. But I, I mean, honestly, I didn't really notice at all. So, dang, yeah, dude. okay, you should compare their voices because they are pretty different. But here's what I'll say, Austin. I think that happened because they, I mean, they really they latched on to what made John Price John Price, and I think they nailed his character. I mean, it felt it felt very true to who Captain Price is. So I think. I think that's a situation where it's just, hey, this is authentically a character that you like. The community loves, and they nailed it. Like that's it's him. It doesn't matter who's playing him. Like they just read it. They wrote it so well. Read it, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. Yeah, it's pretty hard when you do a lot of the talking in it. It is. I. You know what? Yeah. I've just kind of realized that we we flip flopped a little bit from our normal thing, and like I I respect you a little more now, man. Cool, um, dude. But moving forward. Uh, you you uh, head into the building uh, with Price. You resolve a situation uh, in a pretty brutal way. There's a bunch of hostages. Uh, one of them is strapped to a bomb vest. He's begging for you to save him. There's six seconds left. There's a lock on it. You can't figure it out. There's about six to ten other hostages in your local area, including you, you and Price. And Price throws him off the ledge. Uh, it is... Very utilitarian move there, but again, this game is not sunshine and rainbows. It is not like America. Fuck yeah! Like it is. This is like a. These are difficult, dark situations. It's real. It's It's a realistic situation. Is what it is. It's not the. You can't save every single person. Uh, I mean, the realistic thing is you have twelve plus people in the room, and you have one threat. And you don't have yep. time. I mean, you just you do have not have time. It's a tough decision, but obviously, uh, I don't know if you're going to talk about, you know, obviously Sergeant Garrett is way more hesitant, but Captain Price has been around the bush. We know who he is and, yes. you know, obviously what he's done and what he will do to have mission success and basically keep his team alive or keep himself alive to complete the mission. And I mean, it's just a realistic move, man. I mean, it, it, it sucks. But that's just the beauty of the game is it takes away – it strips away the the true narrative of being able to save everyone and the heroism involved. And, I mean, you, you can't save everyone. And I think that's the – this game just – as we continue to go through the themes of the campaign, it, it just continue to shed light on, yeah, you can't save everyone. That's just the reality of it. And it's something you're going to have to get used to and start living with too. So – um, while shocking, I think it was absolutely just, I, I mean, I think I was shocked to begin with too, but as you, you sit there and you develop it and, you know, especially sitting here talking about it now, it's like, yeah, it, it was the realistic move. 
There's no magic. Like this guy that was ill-equipped for a firefight didn't randomly have immensely good uh, metal, you know, bolt cutters to get off the locks in time, and then everyone evacuates right. simultaneously. Like, no, it's just it's a realistic situation. He had to go over the side. That you know, what I mean, it sucks. The poor guy had to go, but like it just saved. You know, it's the whole you know save one life or you you know sacrifice one life for many or does everybody go so well right. done and i think it's a brilliant piece of a uh, character development you know they could have been like oh here comes captain price he's the most badass guy ever and he's a storied warrior and he's got all these accolades no literally if like if you were brand new to the series you would just see a guy walk up that looked like had a pretty hardcore mustache, and you'd be like, okay, visually, looks like a badass. He shoots that guy, he goes to the building, and then he makes this split-second decision, ice cold. Just is an operator, can just get it done, and you're like, okay, this guy has obviously been around the block, and he, he'll he do what it takes to make the right move. Like, he's just solid. And I love that, because if it makes it fun for new people like it was fun for us to meet Captain Price for the first time way back in the day, over 10 years ago. So I, I just I, – I love I love thinking about people that are new to this series being like, oh, wow, Captain Price is like so cool. And it's all on their own. It's It, do, it doesn't require any previous knowledge to realize that, hey, this character is like a badass. So well done on that. Um, moving forward, um, Alex, our CIA boy – um, he is sent to Urzikstan, which Urzikstan is a, a fictional country. Uh, it's pretty transparent that it's it's pretty representative of a lot of the conflict zones, uh, the active war zones in the Middle East. Um, while it's fictional, I mean, all of the residents, all of the characters that come from Urzikstan speak Arabic. Uh, it's most likely, you know, a similar situation like to Syria. And I think it's very transparently related and inspired by the Syrian conflict. And I think that's what makes uh, the character that we're about to meet uh, so much more uh, prevalent. Um, and just, again, like it's – she's tied to just such a real-world uh, uh, you know, news piece. Um, and that is Farah Karim. Uh, she's a rebel leader um, of a freedom fighter force. And uh, she is – accepting enough of uh, American military uh, presence to at least meet with Alex from the CIA, um, which should give you... A, it doesn't really tell you too much about Farah. I, I, I wouldn't say like that defines like her allegiances or anything, but she's willing to do what it takes to uh, take out uh, the terrorist cells that are plaguing uh, Urzikstan, um, which is which is the the main... What what we learn is the main her main goal in this conversation that Alex and Farah have is, hey, Urzikstan is run, is infiltrated and run over by terrorist cells and Russian influence and the freedom fighters, my freedom fighters, were trying to root them out. That's kind of her thing. Um, Can I interject real fast? Yeah. Can I interject real fast? Just let's not forget that the only reason Alex is able to meet with Farah safely is because of a connection with Captain Price and she alludes that if Captain Price trusts him right. then she'll trust that's him right. and that's the that I mean that's really the only reason because Thank she you. owes Captain yes. Price but we don't know what for uh we do find out in a little bit but 
as of this instance, yeah, we have no idea that, of course, Captain Price knows her somehow, but yeah, uh, yeah Alex like, has the meeting because Captain Price, and that's all we know. Um, so yeah, dude, oh, we literally, it. we literally, we have flipped roles. Anyway, yeah. continue. <laughs> dude, it's fun. It's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> I should have mentioned that. In the first scene where we meet Kate Laswell, uh, she's talking to other military officials, uh, the the Marine commander, and um, uh, I don't, I, I'm not really, she's a general of some kind, uh, but she she mentions that she's going to contact uh, somebody, and that and that is John Price, and that's that's how this meeting came to be. That's like why uh, Price even reached out to Fair in the first place. But Alex and Price uh, have not met yet. Um. So she agrees to join forces in tracking down the chemicals uh, because she says if anybody uses these methods, they deserve to die. Um, and right there, we get that Farah is – she's super principled. Um, she may be a freedom fighter. She may be fighting a very tough war, uh, a very gritty war, but she will not back down on her principles. And one of those is using chemical warfare. And that's going to be the <coughs> an ultimately important thing about Farah. Uh, so it's nice that we get it so clearly and concisely, and she, you know, she doesn't mince words. That is that is her thing. Um, however, she will only agree to do it if uh, Alex exchanges his aid in overthrowing Russian forces, led by led by General Roman Barkov. Uh, by the way, Farah Karim is played by Claudia Dumit, and Roman uh, Barkov is played by Konstantin Lavish. So or Lavish, um, and again, she seems to have this. Uh, uh, there's there's an underlying sting in her voice when she mentions Barkov's name, and we will understand why. Um, this leads to the missions uh, embedded in Proxy War, uh, and embedded. It's it's one of those Call of Duty missions that's a little light on combat, very light on combat, but very much heavy on world building and uh, kind of getting to know Farah and kind of the state of occupied Urzikstan. And I would say it's it's a it was a nice pace changer for me, Austin. I, I I thought it was, I thought it was, it was nice to kind of get like a hold of okay, what is life like in Urzikstan uh, under Barkov's uh, occupation? And it's pretty bad. Um, Farah and Alex go undercover and they're walking around uh, a kind of a main thoroughfare of Urzik, of an Urzikstan, uh, one of the main cities in Urzikstan. Uh, the local populace is pretty much enslaved indentured servitude however you want to say it um they're doing menial menial labor uh, conditions are terrible people are hungry starving they're getting killed indiscriminately in firing lines it is martial law in the most brutal sense it's not great um you and farah you playing alex you and farah sneak around uh this operation um you get closer to uh, the, the center of town where there's the highest concentration of, of these Russian occupants. And uh, far, you get to see Far do her thing a little bit. You get to see that she's a super crafty warrior, very stealthy, very cunning. Um, you fight your way through several pockets of uh, Russian soldiers. And um, your hope throughout this entire mission is to cut off the head of the snake here. You want to go right after General Barkov. Um you reach a point where there's a courtyard. Uh, well, first of all, you see a bunch of people get executed 
which again just kind of plays into the okay this guy's bad this this regiment of russian soldiers they're bad guys they're ultra nationalists they're they're no bueno you get to a courtyard where there's two helicopters there's a couple trucks and Farah says hey let's blow this to high hell you sneak around you set them all up Farah spots you covers your back um you light it up you uh you go to ground and Shit hits the fan. Um, reinforcements come in almost immediately. You guys have to basically book it. There's kind of a shout out to the first Call of Duty mission, uh, or in the first Call of Duty, the mission with, uh... oh my god, what's the guy's name that you have to crawl around with in the ghillie suit? Oh, that's uh, Captain. Saudi mate. Oh. oh gosh, it's not. It's not McTavish. McTavish, but. It's it's something along the... Um, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Anyway. Um, so, you don't get close to Barkov. You're running for your life. You're sneaking through um, back alleyways and hiding and running, hiding and running. Um, it's all going pretty poorly. And uh, eventually, you're able to fight your way back uh, to the network of tunnels. Um that uh, Farah and a lot of her freedom fighters are kind of operating and like that's how they get around and sort of Captain you know, McMillan. McMillan. That's who it is. Sorry. So it's it I, was a Mac. It was it was it was another Mac. Yeah, daddy. I was cl- I, I Mac Tavis obviously soap and I know that's wrong, but yeah, Mac Captain yeah. McMillan and that's when Price was Lieutenant Price. Okay. Cool. That's right. done. But uh basically this mission again is it's about world building. It's about who is Barkov's regiment? Who are these ultranationalists and what are the conditions that Farah and her forces are fighting in? And you realize it's pretty scrappy. Very, very scrappy. Um, but you, Farah, and Hadir, you uh, you move on to the next mission, which is called Proxy War. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Um, this this warfare, this this state of affairs in the world, Russia and Western militaries, they're not going to go at it in all-out combat for no reason. They are fighting for their interests through these, uh, through these proxy wars, through uh, allying with militias and allying with freedom fighters to kind of get their way and uh, spread their sphere of influence and protect the assets that they want to protect. Uh, and that's exactly, we see exactly one of those conflicts play out in a proxy war. Um, before I jump into this, Austin, I mean, how are you feeling about Farah, Hadir, and their kind of mission. I mean, were you behind what they were kind of trying to go for? Were you skeptical of them? Because at this point, I think they were trying to portray them as, hey, these might be neutral players. You might, they might, as, as soon as something changes, they might turn on you. So how did you feel about their characters so far, especially Farah? I mean, I think for for me, Farah was what's best for her. And that's all that's going to work. And it, it just how happens, you know, like, Obviously, in the game and and just in general in the world, the United States is not the most liked entity in the world, especially in foreign ops like this. So I think Farah views the United States uh, in Alex as a CIA CIA operative as, you know, he, he the enemy of my enemy is my friend is her mantra. So. The fact yeah. that Alex is there to help, like, okay, we can use the help because we're, you know, I think she's a realistic person as far as the resistance is concerned, and they are in need of some 
highly trained and skilled help. And to your point, a proxy war being played here, United States essentially having a covert boots on the ground. Uh, so I think fair. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think fair is obviously, you know, I think she says it too. Like, you know, we're on good terms until we're not on good terms and my people come first and they always will. So if there was a choice, uh, her people would come first and Alex would get killed. So yeah, I, that's the kind of thing it was for me. Farah is trying to do her best to be the resistance and resist the Russians. Obviously the a horrible occupation. I mean, the, the hanging in the square and then the, the commanding officer coming up and making people watch as an example. I mean, just a lot of different uh, historical and, and probably things that happened today too uh, tied in there and, yeah. and the forced labor and just all this, that, and the other. So you can understand Ferris point of view pretty easily. Like, yeah, okay, absolutely. I understand where you're coming from. Um, and I don't blame you. So uh, being skeptical of the United States and, and it, it, they're not, uh, they're not exactly, you know, privy to, oh, the U.S. is just here to help us. Like, they know. They know that there's an agenda going on. They're not stupid. So I think they're really they're really cool characters. But, yeah, uh, definitely their people first, Alex second, or really just, you know, last. But uh, the Russians are below last. So that's how they kind of uh, pan out. Yeah. Yeah, good way of putting that. It's uh... – <coughs> Below last. That is pretty accurate, her, uh, according to her sentiments. Um, so Proxy War plays out. The The stakes of this mission are, they're not super high. It's really, they're assaulting an interest, uh, a, a cache of weapons and supplies that are owned by Russian-influenced militia in Uzbekistan. Um, it's, it's a raid. It's a siege. Uh, <laughs> you use... Uh, unconventional warfare, like uh, bomb-rigged RC planes, um, which actually those are that, that was a from a gameplay perspective, it was pretty cool, pretty cool way to kind of overcome like MG nests and uh, choke points and stuff like that. Um, this mission was pretty straightforward. I mean, you, you basically fight your way into the the heart of the base. You get to an airport hangar. You <coughs> corner them in a shipping container you breach the shipping container and hopefully that's it but uh things don't always go according to plan and there is a massive massive counterattack, uh complete with an apc fighting vehicle uh basically i i mean more akin to a tank than uh an apc but uh it crashes into the to the hangar yard with a ton more troops things are looking very very sketchy but uh, luckily, your uh, your homegirl, Kate Laswell, uh, communicates with Alex on the ground, and she is able to procure an anonymous, uh, complete black ops uh, sort of favor for Alex, and they're able to get a chopper, a chopper gunner in the air, and he clears out um, the rest of the, the, the counterattack, which is pretty cool in itself. Uh, but that is the end of Proxy War. Um, if you don't have any more comments about that, dude, we can move on to the big one. My favorite mission in the entire game. Yeah, no, I, I think just the last thing, um, showing the dedication of the people, uh, when you're running back to the safe house where the tunnel is and the, it's like the doors open or, or whatever. And Alex is like, Hey, where's the guy? Oh, Tariq. Yeah. Pharaoh's like, he's, he's dead. He would never leave his post. So it's just like the gravity of the 
of everything. I mean, it's just like these people are super dedicated to this fight. Yeah. And like I, I think that just that last bit like really kind of shows it. But yeah, the the airport fight is in itself it, it is pretty straightforward. I mean the the bomb drones or the RC car the RC planes or whatever is pretty cool. Um yeah. and then just uh the intense firefight throughout the entire sequence and and yeah, being into having the essentially non-marked Apache helicopter come in and you're met with a uh, a choice there too because the helicopter can you know once the forces are starting to scatter the helicopter pilot who you control has the option of basically eliminating all targets that are current I mean they're they're running right or letting them go so uh, you're I mean just throughout this entire game you're faced with uh, different choices that you may or may not know or you know not that there's right or wrong ways to do it but uh it, it's certainly interesting to to say the least and i'm glad you said that austin because this is <coughs> this is really the first and an ongoing precedent of questions of of dilemmas that it, the game asks you to make um this one is probably a good intro to that because it's the most low stakes of the of the other ones you're going to make later but uh i mean it's a decision do you do you shoot uh, people who are egressing and trying to flee um, or do you pack it up and leave? I mean, it's not, I mean, you are already engaging them, so it's not, and they were actively hostile. So it's, it's not the, like the most mind bending uh, dilemma or debacle, but it's a good intro to that system and that like, expectation. Uh, but now we move back to London. Garrick had mentioned that he had uh, he was frustrated at, at the end of the last mission uh, with Price because they had intel, but the rules of engagement prevented him uh, from striking earlier. And he was he's frustrated. He's young. He's hungry. Uh, and Price was like, "Ooh, intel, you say?" And uh, <laughs> this, that, and the other. Next thing you know, there is a fully loaded SAS uh, strike force, um, uh, a unit, a dark unit ready to strike and they are outside of a uh, of a townhouse um in in a neighborhood in London and it's implied that Garrick's intel uh was helpful to that um you play as Garrick again uh it's led by Price and essentially dude this is just this is a breach and clear of a civilian home and it's it's not like oh this is like in a war torn like country where the buildings are crumbling and it's just chock full of bad guys and we got to you know, blast in every room and you know flash grenade out and take them all down i mean like very clear they're like there are definitely going to be non-combatants civilians in this operation like you are going to have to check your fire but there's also probably like military enabled people in this house as well so good luck yeah. And like you're whispering because uh, again, this is a covert mission, this is a stealth mission. The tensions are immediately so high. I mean, everybody is being so quiet, everybody is being so tense. They're moving very decidedly. Um you take a tactical ladder up to the second floor and you're breaching into the kitchen and you hear and this is this is awesome. This is such a good from a gameplay mechanic, from a story uh, perspective. This is such a good idea. You hear through the door, a lady say, "I'm going to put a pot on, a pot of tea on." 
And a second later, sure enough, she strolls through the door and uh, she is silently subdued uh, by one of your teammates. Uh, not killed. She is just subdued. Um, it's subtle. The game isn't saying anything like, hey, this is a mechanic now. Like, pay attention to this. But it is a mechanic. In this level, you're going to hear things through the walls, through the floors that are actual important tactical information. Um, and I'll exp- we'll put a bookmark on that. I'll explain a little bit more. But like that is, it's such a awesome way to introduce a mechanic before you have to know about it. So, um, in the next room, you hear hushed voices talking about, okay, what's our next plan of attack? What are we gonna do? Blah 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 blah. You put on uh, the night vision goggles, NVGs. You peek through the door, and it's eerie. Through your night vision goggles, I mean, you see the reflection in their eyes of the. Um, from your light, from your infrared light on your goggles. And it's, it's just the effect that they made with the goggles, Austin, to me was eerie. Um, How it lit up the dark spaces and how it lit up their eyes. And I sat there and I watched them talk for a while because I was super unsure of who I was able, like who was, who I was able to engage there. I don't know about you, dude, but like, how did you start this mission? Like, did you, were you guns blazing? Like, did you figure out the hard way or what? Like, what was your approach? I mean, in the initial scene, they don't cut the power yet, but you do. I mean, you, because there's a large group of people in that room and there's a I mean, lamp on. Yeah, there's a lamp on. But like, if you, I don't know if you played it without the night vision goggles the first time, but it's kind of hard to see people in the periphery because it's still pretty. Oh, dark. no. I mean, I, you throw the NVGs on because I think you're, it, you, you're told to and you get your infrared laser up. But I mean, I, Went in mindset wise, uh, trying to be as realistic as possible. But I mean, I think they were all identified as threats. So it was just like, okay, you know, don't go just finger holding down the trigger. Just like do your best to, you know, you know, one shot, one kill kind of, kind of, um, mentality. And it's also, it's an achievement. So, uh, was definitely aiming for that, which I have not gotten yet, which is annoying. But anyway, it's really hard. I, I mean, it's one I shot didn't. Per threat, right? Yeah, one shot per threat, and you don't take damage, which is the other hard part. But anyway, jeez, oh, yeah, forget it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't fit, let them finish talking. It was just like, I, in my mind, it was the longer I sit here, the more that they're gonna notice something is wrong, and I have the element of surprise, and so I need to capitalize on my element of surprise. Don't give them any, you know, they're in the middle of a discussion, capitalize on the surprise. They're not going to know what's going on. And that's what I did. They didn't finish their conversation. I, um, I think the first time I played the mission, I went through the hallway, which has the open, uh, the doors already open. But if you go through the kitchen, it's cracked and you have to open it all the way. So I've done both, but yeah, I, yeah. I, both times it's just, uh, Get in there, do it quick, and uh, eliminate all the threats. And it's there's something eerie about wait because I went through the kitchen uh, the first time, and there's something eerie about <coughs> having the jump on someone like that. No, I mean even even though they're identified as threats, and even though you have to, you you got to do what you got to do, it's it's eerie just knowing that you are going to initiate that combat. Um. And once you do, you take them out, uh, they will react pretty damn fast, especially if you're playing on the realism mode, which, by the way, that is, in my opinion, that is the definitive way to play this game. It's a lot of fun, realism, for sure. Like, 
it's veteran difficulty, but there's no HUD. There's no display. It's just what you see is what you get. There's no numbers on screen, nothing. Um, I would say, I don't know about you, Austin. I felt that this game's difficulty was not nearly as hard as previous games. Still very challenging. Um, and I think tension-wise, the highest. But in terms of pure difficulty, in terms of you know overcoming the game's obstacles, it's it's not as hard. And I definitely think realism is the way to go. Agreed. Agreed. All right. On so all points. There's uh, a couple more floors. I won't get into too much detail because again, like just play it. It's so awesome. Um, you breach uh, two more floors, um, and again, that mechanic of things coming through, uh, coming through walls and coming through doors comes into play as you're coming up the first set of steps you hear someone say take the shotgun go into the bathroom and wait you hear like a as they as they kind of run and shut the door like you hear all of this the first time i played didn't recognize it i was too focused on the gun in front of me i was too focused on my sight line didn't realize that and i got blasted uh and (laughs) insta-killed on realism i got blasted by the guy in the bathroom played it again heard the cue and i was like damn because initially I was like, that's BS. Like, why would they do that? Like, that's that's like, wh- what chance do I have? And then I was like, oh, okay. If I would have used my brain there, like, I, I would have succeeded. Um, I read a behind-the-scenes uh, trivia thing, and that is actually based on an FBI training uh, simulator. Um, they do a lot of similar training packages where you are put in, like, this giant screen room and you have to like breach and clear rooms and you have to pick up subtle cues, sound cues, um, behavioral cues, things like that. So I thought that was really cool that that's where they kind of got that from. Uh, you make your way through the house. Uh, there is one part that we should probably mention. Uh, you turn the corner into a room on the second, uh, on the third floor, I believe. And you see a woman and she reaches into something and by all means, at this point in the mission, there's already, there's already been hostile female combatants, okay? Mm-hmm. She's reaching for something, and you have no reason to not think that she's reaching for a weapon. And this is, this is the part where I was like, wow, this, I mean, this is going to be very controversial. Because she is reaching for her child. And that is heavy. Very, very heavy. Um, I think the way they handled it was without a shred of flippancy. They, I think, I think they did a good job of saying, we're not doing this because we think it's edgy and cool to put in non-combatants with children in this game. I did not get that at all. I got it as, hey man, if you're going to be an operator on this level, this is the cards you're dealt. Like, Sorry, like this is a kind of like horrible split second anxiety ridden reaction that you're gonna have to make. Um, I, and I would say that's probably that was probably the highlight of this game in terms of uh, what the news cycle picked up. Um, it was very heavily uh, criticized. It was praised in some ways. In any case, it was talked about. Um, how did you approach the situation, dude? Like, what, what was your thoughts on that? Well, the entire mission was always threat assessment. Ba- I mean, split second threat assessment, you know, quick motion right. was fired upon. So 
this woman runs by you and you track her and like i mean the mentality is still any you know it's a video game but with a realistic spin as someone that has good reaction times for video games anyway it's like okay i trust my trigger pull ability versus this uh ai's ability to get the jump on me even in realism mode but even still on the flip side it's a highly trained operative versus a scared potential terrorist you know as soon as i see a weapon flash it you know it's on but until i see that flash of a weapon then i'm not going to do anything because there are non-combatants in the house and so I uh, approached it with that mentality. And yeah, you track her and she picks up a, a child and you're like, okay, I'm really glad I didn't pull the trigger there. So there's that. Um, I will, for those are, who are wondering, hey, you can do whatever you want in this game. You could basically shoot whoever. What happens when you shoot the kid? If you're kind of like messed up like that, I have an answer for you. I watched a video on what happens. Um, yeah. Essentially, when you shoot, you choose to shoot that, uh, you know, take that action, you mission fail and you start over to the checkpoint. And when you do it yeah. again, they start questioning you like on the game. It had, you know, usually when you die, it has a quote from a famous person like Winston Churchill, Eisenhower, you know, yeah. uh, Sun Tzu, whoever this one, it's like, really, you're choosing to do this. Um, I think it says, your are you limit, serious? I believe. Yeah. On the limit. I think the third time you do it, it says, you know, please refrain like this, you know, while we're realistic, this is way too much and we're not promoting this. The fourth time you do it, you're ejected out of the mission completely. You're yep. back on the mission selection screen. Yep. So th that's what happens when you make that decision to go way overboard. Um, so they do have some parameters on that, which is good. But the I mean, it, I think there's a there's a piece too. So there's an achievement. Um, if you've played the game, uh, there's an achievement where an operative does get downed in the house, and yeah, you can save him though. Fire through the wall. Yeah. You fire through the wall, but what happens is you fire through the wall. You hear a body and gun drop, and Captain Price immediately questions your decision. He's like, "I hope that was a hostile." <laughs> so like, even still, it's like, "I hope you know what you're doing." Is his approach on that and right you know this time it it yeah it happens to be a you know a hostile entity with a weapon but you can't just go guns blazing through each door because then you end up tagging non-combatants so again the choices you make you have unlimited uh, ability on that but you know that you're not without being second guessed by you know captain price obviously the commanding officer of the mission when he's like, oh boy, I hope you're right. It makes you second guess. You're like, ah, oh, crap. Maybe, maybe he didn't have a weapon, or he or she didn't have a weapon. Maybe I made the wrong decision. Right. So, um, I, you're constantly plagued by that through this house, um, all the way. I believe we're at the top floor now. Then, yeah. After the and, the woman, and the child. Yeah, and I want to say, um, there's no way you can know that you're. Uh, your teammate is going to go down because it, it's, it is fire through the wall. Um, <clears throat> the only way you can really get that achievement is if you play the mission again, right? And it makes sense. Like in the reality of that situation, there's no reason why you as an operator would just shoot through the wall indiscriminately. Like that's a terrible idea. So it makes sense that they pepper that in there from price. Um, but yep, at the top level, 
uh, in the attic. You breach in. There's just a single woman there. She looks very apologetic. She's crying. Um, she's saying, please don't shoot. And <coughs> I got to say, I don't know how they did it, but the the actress who's portraying her, the way her voice is, the way that they did like the, the animation body capture, my alarm bells are going way off. I was like, there was something disingenuous by the way she's acting. And she is. She's not just like moving erratically. Like she is backing up towards the back of the room and she keeps looking over her shoulder. And um, you can spot on the desk there's a rectangular object and it turns out it's a detonator. Um, and if you don't put her down, Price will, fortunately. But uh, even if you do, uh, Garrick will uh, will comment, oh my God, like that was a detonator. Like she almost blew this entire house up and... Price goes, well, bloody well good that we killed her. Uh, so, again, Price, is, he's cold as stone, but it's because he has to be. Um, I got to say, Austin, I thought this mission, I don't, I wouldn't say it was fun, but I would say it was still my favorite mission because it's just, it got to a different part. Uh, it got to a place that Call of Duty, in my opinion, has never gotten to before, which is Super slow, high stakes, high tension. Uh, I mean, look, think about it, dude. How many people uh, are eligible to kill in this mission? Like, what, eight? Less than eight? That um, is, you kill yeah. about eight people a minute in other Call of Duty titles, in missions. To have a mission that is still the length of a normal uh, mission with only eight eligible combatants, like it's amazing how they set it up to where that is engaging, like ultimately engaging. And I just, I just, I have to give them props for that. And in and, and a way that's not like, this is awesome. This is super like, like edgy and like nice. It's damn, this is, this is like a horrible reality that terrible things involve average people all the time. Um, but yeah, like I had, dude, I had my brothers play this. They're not huge gamers. Uh, they, they don't haven't played games in a long time. I had both of them play this mission on realism just to get their reaction. I just wanted to see how people reacted to it. And the effect was similarly jaw dropping. Like, dude, this is, this is a, a very, very intense, uh, piece of gaming. But, uh, yeah, they find, uh, some Intel on Omar, the wolf Suleiman, who, uh, is apparently the man behind the Piccadilly uh, attack. Uh, yeah, that's in a clean house, man. Uh, I'm going to fly through the next two missions because they're not uh, hugely um, dense. Is there anything else that you would want to remark on clean house? Because that's, that's the one I really wanted to cover, honestly. It's the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast. No, I mean, really alluded to it earlier. It's a realistic thing, and... Again, um, Rob O'Neill is the Navy SEAL that shot and killed Bin Laden. And when you hear him describe the mission and what they did, I mean, they didn't probably play it as slow as that because it wasn't in a dense urban environment. But still, compound, three-story building, big house, like the guys were slow playing, didn't know what was happening, didn't know who was friendly, who was not. So, I mean, it's a very real thing. And yeah. the fact that they incorporated – and uh, to your point, Connor, an FBI training regimen is based on this similar structure. 
again, just the the realistic flow of the game is is truly incredible, and it's it uh, I, to me why the difference in the mission types, you know, the airport we discussed earlier in this, why it feels so much more high stakes is because it just feels much that much more real, in my opinion. I think it really does. So, and that's of course aided by the graphical quality, the quality of the animations, the presentation of the night vision goggles, the silence of your teammates. Like every everything was done super super well from an uh, an art perspective. So again, the passion comes through. But uh, we're back to Alex. Um, he splits up with Farah and Hadir uh, after a kind of uh, probably like one of the few bits of levity in this entire game. Uh, there's a quick exchange between Griggs, who is a, he's a sergeant, he's a Marine sergeant, and uh, Farah as you're getting dropped off, um, which I'm not going to recount that joke because I would ruin it probably. But it's just, it, it was <laughs> nice to see it. It wasn't like, hey, this is a Marvel movie. Here's a joke. It was, okay, these are people. These are real people. They have to break the, the tension at points. Like, you got to do whatever you can do to stay, like, on top of your emotions and you know, it is nice to have a bit of levity in such a horrible war-torn place. So that was nice. Um, Griggs, not super prevalent in this game. Um, he's prevalent in this mission, obviously, but uh, I think this probably serves as an introduction to Griggs. I think he's... Because uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to make a sequel, and I think Griggs will probably play a bigger role. But uh, it was played by uh, LaMonica Garrett, who was in a Resident Evil movie, I, I want to say. He's a former slam ball uh, athlete. Hey. <laughs> and he's <laughs> ripped as hell. So congratulations, LaMonica. But uh, this is a very straightforward mission, dude. This is classic street fighting, building to building, clearing. Um, clearing out MG nests that are raining hell on the street. Uh, moving past um, concentrations of troops, flanking them. Uh, you are fighting with the Marines, and it is down, and it it's dirty. Uh, and it's fun. I mean, this this really was a level that felt like the first Modern Warfare, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but not a ton of plot elements going on. Uh, the basis for this mission is uh, based on the intel uh, that was uncovered by Garrick and uh, Price. The wolf, Omar Suleiman, is apparently posted up in this hospital across town uh, in Urzikstan, and you're going to go get him. That's it. You fight your way through the street. You get into the hospital. You fight in tight corridors, cramped uh, corner uh, sight lines. <coughs> you have a couple insurgents posing as dead patients. Um, it's the whole nine yards. It's a pretty hard slog, but you and Griggs get through it. And uh, you flank around Suleiman, who has taken some uh, Marine hostages. You get in there. And uh, it gets kind of sketchy for a second, but you and Griggs pull it out and you capture the wolf just like that. Game's over. See you later, guys. We did it. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Um, uh, typical, or not typical, but familiar Call of Duty objective. Yep. Go go get it. Go get it done. Go get mission success. Any cost. Pretty much. Uh, and that's Hunting Party. Here's where uh, it's not a total victory, though. Um Apparently, the wolf is, uh, he's not just the leader of this militia, um, or of this terrorist cell, I should say. It's not militia, it's this terrorist cell. Uh, he's not just a leader. Um, he is like a spiritual guide. I mean, these his soldiers love him. And 
This is a problem because now every related allied cell is coming after you. And uh, they quickly say that uh, the wolf's right-hand man, Jamal the Butcher Rahar, uh, who's played by Nick uh, Terabe, he knows that you're taking him to the embassy, and it is bad news. Um, this is where Price, Garrick, Alex, and Farrah kind of converge. Uh, you resume uh, your role as Garrick, and you fly in on a helicopter, and already you see a pogrom of soldiers and I don't think all of them are com- all of them are military uh, combatants, but they're definitely angry and they're definitely hostile, and they are just outside of the American embassy, going crazy, Molotov cocktails, indiscriminate pistol rounds, kind of shooting up into the air, some at the building. It is bad news. As you are flying in on the helicopter, Price is like Garrick, like get ready, like this is not going to end well. Um, and before he can really finish that sentence, you are shot down. Uh, by small arms fire and do you get hit by an rpg yeah you do you do get hit by an rpg you get hit by an rpg you crash land on the roof uh this is one of the more fantastical moments i would say um there's nothing crazy about the helicopter crash as you're going down but you do crash onto a roof and you get up (laughs) right afterwards which is pretty not obviously it's within the realm of possibility there's it all anything's possible but that, I, that was one spot where I was like, okay. That's a little, little classic little Call of Duty spice right there. But uh, you work your way down into the offices. There's a ton of American embassy workers. They're all freaking out. And they're like, you're the reinforcements? You're here to save us? And he's like, Price is like, nope. <laughs> Sorry. Like, good luck. I'm not here for you. Like, again, yeah. he is so focused on the main mission. Uh, but this is a great way to build tension, I think. Um you hear the the crowd outside. You hear the indiscriminate shots. You see all these American embassy workers packing up, shredding documents. Like it is code red, DEFCON one. Like we gotta prepare. Like this this could be a, a really a really bad situation really fast. Um, there, uh, you link up with everybody, and. Um, you need to get, and this is a. I've actually, I kind of forget why we need to, why we need to talk to the embassy head, or what we need from him. I don't know if it's because they need to transfer the wolf to, uh, like, they need to get, like his signature to transfer him or something. But they're trying to contact the embassy head. The ambassador. It's the ambassador. It's the U.S. ambassador. It's yeah. It, it's, like, sorry, not the embassy head per se. It's the most important dude. Uh, <laughs> the reason yeah, that place the, exists it is the is the highest level official of the American government there, um, and you watch through a computer screen through security cameras. Uh, you watch him get executed because uh, he doesn't really follow your directions very well. You watch him get executed uh, by some of the terrorists. Uh, insurgents that have made their way into the building and they have started you know gunning people down that haven't fleed yet, and you're like, well. This got a whole lot worse. And then uh, you see uh, another office worker, another American embassy worker, dart out from behind a desk, grab the cell phone that you were communicating with the ambassador with, and thus begins one of the more interesting sections of this game. Um, I uh, it, was, it was a nice little diversion. Uh, basically, you help this woman navigate 
through the security footage, you keep switching cameras and you help her navigate uh, by directing her <coughs> with your voice around patrols of these terrorist insurgents. And you have to coach her through her coworkers being slaughtered and danger at every turn. And there's not a ton of cover. It's desks and cubicles and she's terrified. I mean, she's just a civilian. She doesn't have military training at all. Um, you have to hack, uh, you have to tell her to not hack, but you have to tell her to like set off, uh, distractions and make noise and get around people. Um, it is, it is something. Um, yeah. Uh, before I get to the last part of this mission, which is, I think the hardest mission in the game. Um, how'd you feel about that little, that little interlude there? With the coaching. Well, so just to... I also wanted to add in before that, there's another choice that's made that impacts how you feel later as uh, Sergeant uh, Garrick. And that's when you get down to the main area, like kind of looks like the lobby that has bulletproof glass. Um, the butcher is there. And right, he's they're got, right, the, they're right at the gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're right, they're right on the other side of this glass, and he has a father and son, uh, on their knees, and I believe there's an embassy worker inside that says, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's my family, and he says, open the door, and, you know, they'll live, and if you choose not to, he kills them both, um. And you hear Sergeant Price, or sorry, you hear Captain Price say, "Don't worry, he'll get his. Like we'll get him." Um, but they, as they continue on their mission, but if you, so you can open the door, but what ends up happening that. is you can go up to the door, you can open it, and then he puts a bullet round into you, and you die, and you fail. So you can go open the door. I did not. Um, know I did that. it. I did it as an option just to see what would happen if he wouldn't kill the kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of bookmark that because there's some significance with, with that entire cutscene or not cutscene, but that interaction with the butcher, because he does kill a father, son of an embassy worker. Um, and they make their way to the basement. Yeah. Yep. They make their way to the basement and the whole reason they need the ambassador's card is they're going to go to his residence because that is a more defensible position for them and they need his key card to get into the residency. So that is why they're trying to get him uh, because obviously he's the only one that has it and he gets killed and the secretary or whatever um, grabs it and that is the navigation uh, to, to get it. So... Uh, Price, Alex, and Farah leave Garrick at the cameras to go meet this woman, and she has to basically open the doors for Price and Alex and Farah to engage when you eventually do save her. So that's the entire reason why they go for the ambassador's card. But yeah, there's a pretty big moment with the butcher. You see him at the door and wanting to get into the embassy and and all that, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you're going to cover it or not, but this mission and the following one has very uh, familiar echoes to an infamous event in Benghazi and also 
a more recent one with the situation in Iran that didn't go as terrible, um, you know, to, to try and stay away from being political, but there was certain actions taken in one and, and not in the other. And, you know, obviously there's a lot more that goes into it than that, but yeah, uh, obviously the Benghazi similarity is the embassy was attacked and as was the residency when the, uh, the operatives fell back to that. So I, as soon as this happened, I was like, dude, this feels like Benghazi because it was prior to the Iran embassy right. incursion that happened. But anyway, yeah. No, um, thanks for adding that, dude. <laughs> um, I think that further contributes to the this threat of they're really pulling from real world um, events to kind of to kind of package this game in a way that feels uh, impactful, like it feels real. Um, I I was I'm actually not super clear on the events of Benghazi still. That kind of was in one ear and out the other, just because it was the media coverage was super saturated on it. But uh, and I haven't watched anything related to it either. Um, so thank you for adding that. I had no idea. Yeah, the movie Thirteen Hours does a pretty good job of just kind of depicting what was going on in this situation and. Like I said, with you know, I'm definitely trying to stay away from being political, but that yeah, I, sure. the movie does a good job of kind of saying, laying out everything that happened, and um, yeah, it's a little weird because uh, who's the actor that plays um, what's his name, Jim in the Office? It's John. John he's yeah, also Jack Ryan. he's yeah, yeah, he's Jack Ryan. Well, he before he was Jack Ryan, he was uh, an right. operative in Thirteen Hours, so it's kind of weird seeing him not as Jim, but. He's in that movie. He's like the main character, one of the main characters there. But yeah, I recommend watching 13 Hours. It's a really good, just a mo- Hollywood movie, obviously. So it doesn't fully depict, but it gives a pretty good idea. And then you can just okay. fill in the gaps as it is. So that's my recommendation. Dude, how do, hold on. How does it feel to be the uh, the like the, 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 the straight setter? <laughs> the, the guy that comes <laughs> in and says, actually, here's what's up. <laughs> You know, it's different. It's different um, because it's not like uh, super lore related because it's just clarification of the missions that I remember. And then just being, you know, I will say from a personal standpoint, the only thing I truly plug into in the news is foreign policy related things because it just matters to me a lot more. Um, So it's just – I just so happen to be plugged into a lot of things that that go on outside of this country. And it just so happens that this game takes elements from foreign policy – or not necessarily policy, but foreign interactions with themselves and with the United States and plugs them into the game. So I just have a very lucky insight, I guess, because I naturally have already looked into this kind of stuff just because that's who I – where I lean towards – on the uh, political spectrum, yeah. I guess. So, there you go. Right, and well, first of all, that's awesome. I'm definitely a local politics guy. I don't know why. <laughs> that's just, I guess, I worked in that field, but I, I definitely appreciate that. And uh, I hear you on not wanting to get political. Unfortunately, this game is. I mean, it just is, uh, just by nature of its context, even um, in the conflict it's in. I mean, it's just, it just is. Um, I'll, I'll say my two cents on that at the end. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to multiplayer today, dude. I'm, I'm really, uh, we're really soaking it in. We might have to do another episode for multiplayer. Honestly, um, that's okay. The campaign was just so awesome, and there's just so much yeah. in it that honestly, if yeah. you're not 
plugged in or you don't take the time to break it down and go through it, you'll just miss, you know, everything that we're talking about. So, hey, that's what we're here for. We deep dive on this stuff. And we deep dive so far, we interrupt other parts of the dive. That's how deep it gets. That's how deep it gets. That's deep diving, dweeb dive style, baby. How deep is your love, dude? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Corona. Corona made me do it. So, the last part of the embassy. (laughs) My Corona. The last part of the embassy, um, essentially, you are trying to exfil with the wolf. All the while, he's taunting you, saying, the butcher's coming for you. My forces are coming for you. Uh, you will never be successful. It's And he's he's not wrong. Um, as soon as you uh, begin the exfil process, they are hot on your tails. Um, there's a point where you... Uh, set up on some rooftops over a field and they do such a great job uh in this part uh, essentially they these enemy forces that are pursuing you they have, they advance in the cover of night and uh they'll go hot for a while then they'll go dark you launch a flare into the air and you see that they have advanced about 50 yards on you and it is freakish it was such a cool part uh, so it starts off as like a sniper gallery type mission, but it quickly devolves into give ground and fight back, give ground and fight back sort of a thing. Um, your comrades keep telling you to pull back a little bit. Uh, and dude, I found this mission to be particularly difficult at the end of this mission. Uh, it is just a a bum rush of uh, enemy combatants trying to get to the wolf. Um, basically... Uh, the wolf is in a safe room, and you are defending this compound until you can get uh, reinforcements. Uh, I should have said that earlier. But uh, eventually you beat back some of their forces. Um, there's a lull in the action, and here is where uh, the next sort of choice comes. Um, during a lull, you've already fought a couple uh, insurgent uh, – what do they call trucks again? Technicals? Technicals, yeah, or you just say vehicle. Yeah. I mean, you already found a couple of search of technicals, so you're kind of aware of vehicles at this point. There's a car that drives straight towards a compound you're defending, and it stops, and it's it's weird. Um, you've got no context. They're not communicating with you. They're not flashing their lights. They have no markings. It's a civilian-looking car. Um, and someone asked, should we, should we fire? Should we engage? And basically, uh, you can choose whether or not you want to. Either way, it will not affect the end of the mission. Um, again, it's another one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, I guess I won't shoot this. But if we get, I mean, that might spell the end for all of us. This might be a bomb. Um, or it's just a civilian. Um, Austin, I believe when we talked about it, it was weird. On our first playthroughs, we both did the... Uh, we both took one of the options. Um, I believe you shot it on your first playthrough, correct? No, I didn't. I, I let him live. I let the guy live. Oh, on the first one you it, did. Okay. It's so it, – and I mean to your point, the decision to do that is a lot more difficult because you're with elite operatives, resistance, and U.S. Marines because U.S. Marines are – they are tasked with defending all embassies around the world. So any right. embassy you go to, you'll get the United States Marine Corps. Um, so you have operatives saying, okay, maybe this guy's having car trouble. And then you have a little bit of a jittery Marine 
saying it could be a suicide bomber that's going to blow the wall and you know compromise our position. Like you, sh- you need to shoot him right now. Like the guys, like shoot him, like do it. And then the other yeah. guy, and I think it's like Alex is like, wait a minute, you don't know that. And so it's a lot more difficult of a decision of like, oh, there's a car stopped. It's suspicious. It's like one guy say, dude, shoot it. It could be a suicide bomber and could take us out. And the next is like, I think this dude's just, he could be having car troubles because, um, you know, most people have already cleared out of here because before the fighting begins, you can see, you know, as you're tracking with your sniper scope, like people are running, there's trucks driving by really fast, like shops are closing, like metal grates are going down. Like, you know, it's about to, the storm's brewing, but you know, there's also just residents, like they know it's coming and you see their reaction to it. So like, you have no idea if this guy is, you know, who this guy is. So it it is an interesting choice, but um, as it turns out, it's just a guy having car trouble and he drives away. He does not blow up uh, that section of the wall. So um, that is, it's a choice that you can make. And there's not a right or wrong one. I well, I guess there is a right or wrong one, but it doesn't affect mission outcome at all. But uh, yeah, man. So I yeah, I did not shoot him. I, I don't think I've ever made that decision. I've always let him go. So good for him. Okay. I th- oh, you know what? Maybe I was talking to someone else about that mission. But I remember someone told me, yeah, when I played that, I was like, well, I don't want to be wrong in an explosive way, so I guess I have to do it. And when I told them, like, oh, I let them pass, they were like, you could do that? (laughs) That's what I love. That's what I love about this game, though. It's different. It's different than what the Call of Duty's we've gotten before. I mean, that choice. And it's the fact that it's ambiguous and you never truly figure out who that was if it was a combatant or civilian. Um, it plays into the idea of target acquisition and knowing whether or not you did the right thing is not, uh, it's not a comfort you're afforded at this level of operation. Like it's just not, and that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine living in that sort of world. I just can't, um, you clear out a mortar nest, uh, you fight off the rest of the forces, you make your way back. And, uh, oh, there's actually another, there's another little quick thing where, uh, the administrative, uh, embassy worker that you had helped coach earlier, she was hiding back in, uh, the embassy or the, uh, the ambassador's, uh, estate and she is taken hostage. Like she's having the worst day of her life and, um, she can die here and it doesn't end the mission. She is not mission critical. So if she dies, it's just you messed up and the worst part is so she died the first time i played um i thought i got a clean shot and i thought that the guy reacted by pulling the trigger when he died and she died anyway um but then i played it again and i saved and i was like damn it like damn it like that it was because i wasn't good enough um (laughs) i saved her which is crazy i saved her first time i was very panicky like i i was a very panic but i was able to get the controlled shot off so you're an elite yeah, gamer, I'm the dude. Best. I'm you're, you're an true, elite you're true Asian. I am not. <laughs> um, so, and it's revealed that he was, uh, they had breached the exterior wall to his holding room and they have extracted the wolf. Bum, bum, bum. Womp, womp, womp. Um, all is not completely hopeless, though. Uh, Ferris suggests, hey, I've got a plan. 
Uh, they're going to have to cross through uh, the highway of death. There's an area where we can ambush them. We'll take them all on. We'll take, hopefully kill uh, the wolf in the process, but at least we'll take out uh, a, a big chunk of his men. Everybody agrees to Ferris' plan, uh, and you get set up in the mountains. Not super sure how you got there first, since they extracted him and, like, got away, and then you guys, like, went there later. I'm not really sure how that how you're able to get there, set up, have time to, like, plan, and then they come. Uh, maybe they have dude, more helicopter. things to kind of... I guess, but, like... My guess, my guess is helicopter, dude. Does Suleiman not have a helicopter? Does he not have, you know, does he does he not have a sick ride? Like, what's going on with him? Probably not. I mean, he might be very influential, but it's not like it's a profitable terrorist organization. So that's true. my guess is the military helped SAS CIA American team with Farah and Hadir and their fighters could have just hitched a ride. I mean, there's what, like six, seven, maybe eight total people there to set up the ambush. Um, You know, because Price isn't there. uh, Garrick's not there. It's just Alec because they're going off to do their own, you know, set up another part of the ambush or whatever. So, yeah, um, I mean, probably a quick helicopter ride would probably do that. And then, uh, you know, Garrick and Price leave to go do something else. Uh, That that's probably there's no way you could vehicle travel and get there first because it's like in the mountains and there's only one way in one way out that's the whole point of the ambush so right. my guess helicopter okay and maybe the freedom fighters already had like a, a force out there like maybe that was one of their bases and that's why she even suggested it in the first place because there is a decent amount of the freedom fighters out there like out in the field uh mm-hmm. because so this this mission starts with you calibrating uh, a sniper rifle that hadir builds for you or that well that he's built for himself, but he gives you this very personal weapon. Uh, he calls you a brother. In fact, he's been referring to you as a brother ever since the attack on the uh, the airbase. Um, but he seems to enjoy you. He seems to be like not skeptical of you anymore. And really, at this point, you're like, all right, me and Hadir, like we're boys. We're we're gonna hang out later. Like when this is all done, like Hadir's my guy. And, <laughs> we're homies, know, dude. We're homies. We're homies, right? And it's, I mean. If you're an astute uh, digester of media, you would probably see what's coming next. But I honestly, I would, I, I am so in the moment with stories. I think that's why I enjoy like fantasy and fiction and just reading and movies so much because I am not smart about those things. I am not wise to twists and turns. Like I am just in it always. I'm in it like in the second it's happening, and I, I just I don't see things coming. But anyway. You're you're vibing, you're setting up, you do some sniping, calibration, there's insane bullet drop, the physics on the bullets feel awesome. Uh, It's a a really cool way to set up that, okay, it's going to take a decent amount of skill and um, coordination uh, with your reticle to kind of set up what's about to come. And sure enough, uh, zooming in from the right on some jeeps are Solomon's forces. Uh, the Alcatala, which we uh, I should have said earlier, uh, he heads the Alcatala, um, and uh, the the rebel forces had set up um, a distraction, a kind of a blockade to get their vehicles to stop. And as they do, you begin taking them out, and it starts um, a pretty cool sniping mission. 
Um, as reinforcements are called in, uh, they drive over a pretty significant distance uh, towards you to kind of rush you. And um, depending on your skill with a sniper rifle, I mean, you can really, really cripple their forces before they even get close. Um, when Austin and I played together, it was mainly Austin, like, doing fat work and me just cursing because I was missing every fucking shot. <laughs> well, it's not the campaign mission, it's, but it's, it's the, there's yeah, a it's spec the ops mission that has the same. Yeah, yeah, the same yeah, thing. yeah. Um, But yeah, that the me doing fat work part is very true. Yeah, yeah. Nice, dude. Elite <laughs> gamer, bro. Um, and it seems to be going pretty well. But then there's a, there's a small dust cloud coming in from the left. Um, after a couple waves of uh, Alcatala forces, I should say, there's a dust cloud coming on the left, and someone says, oh, damn it, it's Barkov's forces. And here come the Russians. Again, this is not directly the Russian military per se. It is a Russian military splinter cell of ultranationalists that are led by an influential um, general. So it is. It is the Russian military, but he is very, very much a maverick. Very, very much kind of a warlord out in Urzikstan. He's kind of gone like AWOL, I guess. At least that's kind of the official story. Um, so he comes in. They have APCs. They have really nice gear. Um, shit is hitting the fan fast. It's not exactly like a nightmare scenario because the, the rebels are relishing at the chance to kind of lay into Barkov. But you have these three... Um, elements coming into view. You have the rebels who hate the Alcatala. You have the Alcatala who hate the rebels. You have the Russians who hate the Alcatala and think the rebels are part of the Alcatala or they don't care because they're not Russian. So you have like this, yeah. this uh, not a love triangle, a hate triangle of forces <laughs> converging on each other. And An is, absolute hate triangle. Yeah. Absolute hate triangle. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pandemonium. I mean, it is... It is a lot of fighting, and uh, there's some there's some C4, there's some Molotov you can do, but in terms of defensive options, it is you're running out. After some very intense fighting, Hadir says, "All right, Alex, follow me. I've got the uh, I've got the smoking gun, baby. I've got the uh, I've got the uh, the end all be all of uh, of countermeasures." He's like, "Come on," and I'm of course me. I'm like, oh, "Okay." He's probably got like a minigun or like a rocket launcher or uh, some sort of tank that's hiding in a garage somewhere uh, from like World War II that we're going to use. Like it's going to be like this thing. Like we're going to you know annihilate everybody. Oh, I was the same way, dude. I was the exact same way. You were? Yeah, okay, yeah. Good. I was like, I had no idea. I was like, I don't know what he has, but he's got dude, something yeah. that's going to get out of this jam. And yeah, what's he got? Uh, I was like, okay, Hadir is like, he's like, uh, Hadir to Alex is Q to James Bond. Like, he's he gave me the cool sniper rifle. He's probably going to have, like, a Jaguar with a minigun uh, on the hood like or something. No, not the case. Turns out, the thief of the nerve gas from the very first mission was Hadir the whole time. Bum, bum, bum. The classic... Uh, who done it? Turns out it was Hadir. Uh, this is particularly poignant because uh, on the comms, you immediately hear Farrah go, "Wait, what the hell? Like, 
you're using gas like this and we know that this that's everything to her like that is that is her one thing that she said uh she will not do and we're instantly put in this very awkward position well awkward is one word for it i mean you're dying pretty much uh yeah everybody gets wiped out it is an indiscriminate warfare like rebels barkov's men alcatala everybody's getting destroyed by this um alex is stumbling around he doesn't have a mask he's coughing so is farah you eventually mainly mostly make your way to her but uh you pass out and that is how highway of death ends hadir is his own own style of villain he is um not directly and you'll discover this more but he's not directly the enemy but he's certainly um, an erratic dangerous player uh who's endeavored maybe a bit too hard and now uh the half point the halfway point of this game is you know what does this mean for Farah, who's a character we've come to really you know align with and we've we've been her um so actually no we haven't played as fair yet that's the next mission but we've been around her we've kind of heard her story and now she's faced this character is not just faced with what is her life's goal what is her life's work in this freedom fight it's this very personal what do you do about your brother who is everything you said you would destroy right and that is a hell of a way yeah Hell of a way to do that. I was going to say, when Hadir reveals the nerve gas, I think I actually, I paused it and I'm like, wait a second. Is that the nerve gas from the very beginning of the game? Wait, hold Did up. Hadir steal it? I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then I like kept, it, let, like kept it rolling a little bit. And I'm like, those look like the containers that the Marines were trying to exfil out of that area. Like, are these the same or maybe these are different? That can't be right. He can't have those. Yeah, it's a deer. He's a good guy. It's homeboy. It was like he's a he's he's cool, man. He's cool. It's We're, like, dude, we played poker the other night. It was awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. We smoked that Kush on that uh on that uh, rooftop in that cutscene. That's right, dude. I said I was gonna watch this sector, and it was like, all right, then we're gonna smoke together. Like, dude, like we were gonna like hang out. I after thought we this. were boys, bro. <laughs> we were gonna be boys, dude. And then this this. But yeah, I was actually, I was super shocked. I'm like, yeah, really. I literally, I was like, are those the canisters from the factory that you engaged at the beginning of the game? Whoa. Yeah. And then I, I will point out that Alex and Fair are crawling to like the side bunker and Hadir gets gas masks and puts them on Alex That's and Farah. Right. That's right. And he tells Alex to tell his sister, like, he's sorry. So it's like the only it's like the only way the end justifies the means kind of thing. Exactly. You know, something that Farah would never go for, but he did it anyway. Right. And and then it makes like so much more sense why Alex was left alive. Um and, in, in a way right. because it was like any other terrorist cell like Americans, uh, they would all relish absolutely just light them up. And eliminated everybody, but there was the hesitation, and then yeah. they had to leave, obviously. So, um, yeah, man, I, I was I was shocked that it was Hadir, and that Hadir was uh, a part of the terrorist cell that you're fighting. So, or or uh, allied with them, 
uh, in a way to, to you know against the Russians. Like he was willing to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And that is the halfway point of the out. game. Um, maybe not the perfect. Maybe not chronolog like time wise, like play time wise, perfectly. But it's definitely like the the mid climax. Um, and it's a hell of a climax. <laughs> I think at this point <laughs> in the game, yeah, it is. I was uh, I was pretty sold on it. I mean, I was already sold by a clean house, but um, if I could say one thing about this game, it's it's not that it was like ultimately like the bravest, most political statement out there, or you know, it really said something. In fact, those were criticisms of the game. CNET, um, PC Gamer, and I think Kotaku—they all ran articles that were roughly around the area of. You know, it tries to say a lot, but it actually has nothing interesting to say. It raises a lot of questions, but they never give answers. And it's like they were implying that there's some amount of um, convenient cowardice to that or something. And I just have to say, I really disagree. I really do. Um, Because it's evident that this game is not like, hey, the Western, Western military and Western military presence is like the is like Sunshine and Rainbows, it's the best thing ever. They always make the right choice, and they're golden boys. It's also not saying the, you know, death to the West, uh, you know, everything's cool uh, in that area of the world, and there's nothing to worry about there either. Um, It's not saying any of that. It's not pro-anything. It's not anti-anything. It's just saying, hey, this is an interactive version of real-world events. It's obviously dramatized. It's a little bit ridiculous. It's not realistic, I'm sure, to, to an actual uh, military person in a, in a lot of ways. But in terms of the situations presented and the stories presented, uh, the, the type of characters that are involved in the situations that they have to go through, it's not. I think it's brilliant that it's not saying anything. It's just presenting the world, and it's, it's up to you to decide what that means. And I think that is harder to do in a way. It's harder. It's harder to present something like that and be like, "Okay, what do you think?" Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was gonna say I agree a hundred percent with you. With it's not what left. It's not right. It's real. Like it's just a realistic. There's people out there that are in special forces that are resisting something. Uh, you know, a, another entity that is oppressive, and this is the stuff that they they have to do. It's you know, is it to a T? Is it like chemical warfare level? No, not really. But, you know, little small special forces teams being inserted in places that not a lot of people know about and them having to make day-to-day decisions and interactions with locals and, and all of this stuff that there's not really a left to right. It's like live or die kind of a situation. It's, you know, right. mission success or mission failure. It's, you know, the whole it tries to ask questions that they don't answer blah 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 like i don't think so it just it's like hey everyone you read a lot about this stuff you kind of envision it a little bit here's a take that will bring you pretty realistically as far as an interactive source will be outside of a personal conversation or or anything like that so it it's just it doesn't ask questions. It's just like, hey, this is this is kind of standard for these kinds of people. Like, this is a real thing. So, um, 
And my example is like uh, I read an article about, you know, special forces operatives and their rotations on and off. And should it be they've been overstretched and, and this, that and the other. And like they operate heavily in Africa. And that's not really something you hear a lot about, if at all. Um, right. That's not a that's not like a, an area of the world that you you envision like uh, our forces operating in ever because it's not really. Reported. Yeah. Yeah. And they they are combating Al Qaeda there, you know, ISIS there. There's some pretty heavy cells in in Africa that special forces have to deal with, and so I, I mean, without getting too much in the nitty gritty, it's just like, okay, well, what do what do they do out there? What is it that they're doing out there? And this is kind of the thing they're doing. They're they're interacting and training locals, um, and they're engaging the enemy on a small scale where it's not really noted in the news because no one really wants to talk about it. So that is, but you know what? It, it keeps the world a little bit safer and that's what these guys are doing in this game. And it's to me anyway, with my pea brain understanding of what happens in the world, this is right. pretty, you know, this is as realistic as it's going to get for an average Joe Schmo schmuck American like me. So there you have it. Well, self-awareness is a is a wonderful attribute, Austin. Um, <laughs> I, I I agree. Um, I think this game. I think Farah is the key to saying that, like, to striking that balance. I think without Farah, it wouldn't. You wouldn't. They wouldn't be able to talk about it in such a way that makes sense. Because if Farah was like a like a side character, a one off character, uh, the implication would be well. Um, it's it's nameless faceless, faceless people that we're interacting with and we just you know it's it's our complete machination it, it, no that's not it like fair under freedom fighters it is their country it is their land to protect it's their right um they have their own ideas of what to do and it's not that it's hey alex comes in there and he's running the show not at all it's favor for favor friend uh, you know enemy of an enemy is a friend kind of a thing like like you said earlier um and Farah's skepticism is very important in her the way that she kind of is pretty spiky uh for most of her relationship with Alex uh we'll get into that later um because she understands the issues that come along with uh foreign intervention and those kind of uh those kind of strategies those tactics like it's it's worked for militaries in the past and it also hasn't worked it's also been disastrous um and i think ferris character is a great emblem of that um so i'm excited to talk about the second part of this dude because uh some of these themes we've been talking about they get exacerbated and like talked about so well like the people it's all about the people around you in the end and all of this good stuff and then we can talk about multiplayer too, because I think we'll power through the second half. Yeah, I mean multiplayer is definitely not nearly as in depth either. <laughs> it's a lot more. I mean, it's just run and gun, so it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be good, right? But yeah, the campaign has a lot to to do, and it, it's one of the reasons why Call of Duty was so, at least in my mind, successful in its comeback from. I would assume being down because of all the futuristic stuff and like the campaign obviously is infused with that. And 
now we're back to a realistic story and people i mean i think just people nowadays like the the realistic aspect and they i I mean quite frankly they literally crushed the realism in this because it to me again it is the real the closest to real that an average person will ever get so they have it yeah for triple a highly entertaining video game experience it accesses just enough to translate some of that like realism and it's yeah like you said it's enough for these the average schmuck the average joe so absolutely well that's uh that's this episode dude you want to wrap things up oh i thought you were gonna do it since we switched places but i can i can i can do it i can end it oh wait Um, yeah 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 Keep the theme going, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep the keep keep the theme going. Okay, okay. Thank you so much for diving in with us. Uh, we're actually going to keep this dive underwater because we're going to hop right back in next week to finish up Call of Duty Modern Warfare uh, that released in 2019, uh, and then we'll be on to Altered Carbon after that. So we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Thank you so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Um, we're quickly approaching the thousand downloads mark, and we are super excited. We cannot thank you enough again we're both excited that even one person listens to our podcast so having almost a thousand is unbelievable um please please leave reviews on Podchaser, on uh apple anywhere you listen to our podcast we would really really appreciate reviews they really really help even if they're not five star i mean be honest uh well okay please (laughs) please don't trash us (laughs) just text me if you're mad or something um, we actually do have a lot of people that text us about episodes and we love it. Um, feel free to text us. Feel free to put on our Instagram posts like, Hey, this sucks. You got this wrong. I think you're stupid. We love all of that. Um, we, we really do. So, um, we look forward to hearing from you guys and we look forward to the next dive. Did well, I say bye after that? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what Perfect. you do, dude. Perfectly executed. <laughs>